Uh, So I would like for you to turn your attention to our uh, passage printed here in the bulletin for you to read. Uh, This is God's word. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed and strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness which, without which no one will see the Lord and see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. This is God's holy and errant word. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful that we can come and worship you. Lord Jesus, we're grateful that you came into this world and did not become bitter. but died for those who were your enemies because you were perfectly holy, the perfect human being that we all long to see in this world but will never see. Father, we're all flawed and we have this exhortation that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And we do thank you for the foreign holiness that has come from Christ. But we also thank you for the Holy Spirit who brings us great joy as you break the power of sin in our members, this body of death, until we meet you. And so, Lord, I pray for any this morning who do not know you, uh, Lord, that you would be kind and gracious to them. Uh, If there is bitterness And uh, their life is marked by unhappiness and anger. Lord, would you be kind to them today? Because you're no longer angry with us. You poured out your wrath upon your son so that we might have friendship with God. Which is the essence of holiness. And so Lord, I pray that you would speak through me. For I am but a man and a sinful man. And I speak to sinners who cannot hear without your Holy Spirit. And so we pray that you would bless both the preacher and the hearer. And that we would see Jesus Christ. And I ask it in your name and for your sake. Amen. Well, there is no doubt that the very heart of this text is verse 14. Without holiness, no one 
will see the Lord. The writer of Hebrews has been urging readers to persevere and not fall short of the grace of God, five warnings he gives throughout the book, uh, is clearly saying that your holiness, our holiness, is not an option. It's not for really spiritual people. But it is an absolute requirement for anyone here who would enter eternal life. Jesus was unambiguous about this. For he says, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's an important subject. But before I proceed, I want to first say something about this word, holiness. What does that mean? And I want to address that if you are not a Christian here today, or you're not sure if you're a Christian, sometimes you don't feel like a Christian, or you're somebody who came and and, uh, you're maybe for the first time wanting to know what the faith is and you've come back to church. Uh, I want to say something to you and then I want to say something to believers as well. First, I want to address you if you're an unbeliever. Uh, What do you think when you hear the word holiness? What does that conjure up in your mind? And if you think the essence of the word holy means an extremely moral person, a good person, uh, a religious person who's who's making every effort to behave as religious people uh, should, then I can assure you this is not what that word means at all. It's not about morality. It's not about religious observance. It's not about prayers. Can we all admit that we, 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 we tend not to want to hang out with people whose uh, whole life is about them being good in such a way that they have no time to take interest in you. That's what religious people do. And that is not holiness. It is the Hollywood depiction uh, of a Christian as they, as unbelievers are trying to, from the outside, look in, and that's what they think. But there's no life in that. There's no hope in that. So it's not that. Certainly Jesus was a, a moral person, but his, his, his ethics flowed out of his love for God and his love for us. Because you see, if Jesus were holy like you can't touch me, then nobody would have come to him, but people came to him. Why did people come to him? Why did people flock to him? Why did people want to be near to him? It's because the essence of biblical holiness, and here it is, is to be truly human. To be the human being that God intended us when he created us, but has been perverted and made us pathological because of sin. And and therefore, uh, we uh, tend to hide ourselves or protect ourselves or so busy trying to be what everybody else wants us to be that there is no joy. There's There's not this joy that exuded from Jesus. You see, that's what it means to be holy. It means to be human. 
the one God intended, and what you will be when you're glorified in heaven. But until then, we still struggle with the fact that we are still duplicitous. Uh, We are still self-seeking. We still struggle with anger, which is not holiness. So that's the first, I wanted to say something, if, if that's what you think holiness is, that's not what it is. But on the other hand, I, I need to address some of you as believers because uh, when you read a verse like this, if you have grown up in an evangelical church or Bible-believing church, if you've grown up at Redeemer, your first thought is, no, whoa, wait a minute now. Is that talking about my holiness? I mean, don't we believe in the imputed righteousness of Christ? Isn't his holiness and his grace? And the answer to that is, of course. You, if you do not have the righteousness and holiness of Christ through union by the Holy Spirit, then all of your righteousness, anything that you're doing, if there's no life in you, it will amount to nothing. But you see, what we must understand is that the Bible teaches uh, very clearly that those that God has declared righteous is for a purpose. And that purpose is holiness, which in essence is to bear the very image of Jesus Christ. So God has done his part. Nothing we could do. But we received the gift of the Holy Spirit, so he took out, when you were converted, if you were converted, he takes out this heart of stone of bitterness and anger and jealousy and envy and self-promotion, and he puts in a heart of flesh. But we still have indwelling sin. The penalty has been paid for. We have been set free. But what we have been set free to do is to put sin to death. Because that's how we become like Christ. It is in the process of mortifying our sin that the life of Christ comes out of us and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because if you really want to know what it means to be a holy man or woman, you bear the fruit of the Spirit. You're loving and joyful and kind and patient and long-suffering. And Paul says right after that, against us there's no law. No law can make you that way. No morality can make that way. The only thing that can make you that way is the grace of God through the gift of the Holy Spirit to look to Jesus. That's what makes us holy. And I want to ask you this. Are you holy? Is your, long, is your greatest desire in life, not, not a husband, not a wife, not a great marriage, not a not, not career success, but that you want to be like Jesus to everyone you come and confront or come in contact with? Because you see, this is what it means to be a Christian. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, do not fail to receive the grace of God and not persevere because you just go, you know what, I, I am so mad at my husband or my wife or my, my parents or these people who wronged me, whatever it may be. That is not holiness because that's not who Jesus is. So I want to give you a couple of points here. 
But as I do, it's, I, you know, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I always have to do the 30,000 foot thing. I probably, uh, I, I do it every week, but, I, I, but some people are visiting and they don't know the context. But because every text has a context. Take a text out of the context and you come up with your verse for your life and it might be completely misinterpreted. But you see, the writer of Hebrews is writing to Hebrew Christians who are suffering. And man, their suffering was really bad and they start giving up on the faith and they wanted to be religious. They said, listen, knowing Jesus, that was great at first, but it's too difficult now. So they're moving away. Just like maybe some of you right now, you're thinking about going, this is not worth it. It is so hard to be a Christian. And that I grant you. Why is God bringing these things into my life? Well, let me tell you, the writer of Hebrews is not saying those trials and tribulations are going to go away. He's saying they're coming. And I think he thought many of them, which they were, would eventually be killed for the faith. And so he's saying to persevere. So the first uh, 10 chapters, he says, listen, Christ has done the work. Why would you leave him? He's finished the work. And I'll tell you this right now. If you're a believer this morning, if you're a born-again person, you are good. And God will never be angry with you. So that's the 10 chapters. And then we went to chapter 11. Because you see, if you believe these things but don't appropriate these things, then it's just more confusing the older you get. Because it doesn't have any power to it to really change our lives. And so... So he tells us the way this is appropriated is through faith. And faith is a gift that God gives those who he imputes his righteousness. But he gives you the spirit so that you might walk by faith. And he gives you this whole chapter about those who who live by faith. And he doesn't commend them for, for their obedience because most of them sinned. But he doesn't say anything about their sin. He commends them. Why? Because of their faith. And you know, the man or woman who's commended here this morning are those who know, man, I am not holy. I'm not what I should be, but I believe in Jesus. And he will love me when nobody else will. That is what is commended by God, to believe what he promises through Jesus Christ. And so he kind of ends that part and then he begins to talk about Uh, how that begins to look. How does this faith working itself out look? Well, it doesn't mean your life is roses. Basically what Todd preached on last week was, uh, well, now we have to go into discipline. Because you see, the Lord loves you so much, he's gonna discipline you in the same way that Jesus had to be disciplined. Not because he did something wrong, but, but but the whole Christian life is not this Holy Spirit flopping down on you and experience after experience. It is the hard work of day in and day out pursuing Jesus Christ. That's what it means. That's the holy person is going to discipline themselves. So now we come to what that looks like, okay? Here's what you need to practice. And so what we're gonna see uh, is three things. Um, We must clear those things that are obstacles to holiness. And secondly, we must then endeavor, strive, make every effort to be holy. It just doesn't flop on you. It is a task. And I would suggest this, the the older you get and the more you grow in Christ, the greater that task is. 
It's not like you arrive. It is this greater longing for heaven to be done with this body of sin. And then finally, holiness and worldliness are incompatible. So the first thing to see is this, that we must clear those things that are obstacles to holiness. Clear them out. Now, I mentioned this two weeks ago, but he brings it back up again here. Notice what he says in verse 12. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. You see, in this verse, and the verse is just before our text, he speaks of the importance of, of discipline. But he was doing it in the context of uh, fathers to sons, but also athletes who go to the gymnasium. And people understand this. Discipline is not always because you've done something wrong. Discipline is because you're, you're, you're saying, I, I want to be useful. <laughs> and they say, okay, well, if you're going to be on the team, if I'm especially going to use you, you're going you're to work it out. But a performer doesn't work out on the day that he runs the race because his body needs to heal from the exertion that God has put on, strengthening our faith so that when that day comes that you are ready to go and run the race. But what are our bodies like when we have been disciplined or we've been in the gym for a long time? Are these elite athletes, I've been reading about elite athletes and the way they push themselves. I could never have done that. But all these great athletes, they're not just talented. They don't just watch TV and then go out and play basketball, even though most of them could, or football. They push their bodies to the brink, to the point where they collapse. And that's what he's saying here. So strengthen your weary arms and your rubbery legs. So what practically does it mean for us this morning? Obstacles or hindrances that do not necessarily mean sin, but anything that might cause us to stumble. In other words, if you're weary and, and so on, so get, get rid of the barbells in your room, at least till you start working out again. Well, when I was a new Christian, uh, this is what I think it means. I read a small pamphlet by Charles Hummel that had an immediate impact on my walk with Christ. It was titled, The Tyranny of the Urgent. And he said that matters of crucial importance can be pushed aside simply because urgent concerns demand our attention. And then he went on to say priorities are always a matter of commitment and a measure of maturity. In other words, those things that, that uh, are urgent push out those things that are crucial. Another book that I've read over the years, I've read it several times because I think it's very helpful. It was written, yes, by a Mormon named Stephen Covey, but it's the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Well, I want to be effective. What are the habits that are there? Well, in the very beginning of the book, he, he, he makes this point that I think the reason you need to have the habits, he, he, he said, because there are concerns and there are problems. And most of us spend all of our time on concerns. And he says, concerns are things you can do nothing about. 
what's the economy going to do this year? I mean, I'm reaching, you know, that age where I, you know, you got stuff over there in retirement. What's going to happen to it? Is it going to tank? It did in 19, 2008. Will it tank again? Well, you don't know. But you know, you spend a lot of time talking to your friends about stock market and your concerns about the stock market, which is an absolute waste of time because you don't know what it's going to do. Or your concerns about uh, China. And are we going to be going to war with China? Are we going to be going to war with Russia? We don't know that. But the things that we really daily read about in our newspaper is concerns. But our focus should be on our problems, our troubled marriages, our jobs, our budgets. But above all, our sins that hinder us to remove the, the obstacles which are problems, not necessarily sins. And you're making every effort to do that. You're to focus uh, on what it means to be identified with Christ in his death, which means you will put to death gossip and love of this world and your love for money or your sensual pleasures, jealousy, envy, hypocrisy, the desire to be somebody, the fear of man rather than the fear of God. Because that's the problem. And we can deal with that. If you're a pilgrim in this world living for the one to come, you must have your priorities right. Spiritual maturity does not evolve by itself. It takes time and faith in God's work to help us persevere. And if we are not strengthening ourselves daily, yearly, then we will faint and not finish the cross line. That's what he's saying. And the second thing is uh, that we must uh, then endeavor, once the, we're getting rid of these hindrances and start dealing with the problems versus the concerns, then we must uh, endeavor to strive to be holy. We must strive. Paul says it in Ephesians 4. He says there's one faith, one body, one, one, uh, one faith, one hope, one, one body. And he, and he says, therefore, strive for the unity well, why would he tell Christians that? Well, because we're not in heaven yet. Uh, we are fleshy people. Now that we've uh, cleared these obstacles, we find ourselves refreshed after discipline and prepared for this race, this contest of holiness. And he gives us two positives and two negatives. And I want to hit those real quick. And then I want to come uh, to our last point here as soon as possible. First, the positive. You see it there in verse 14. It doesn't say every now and then on own occasion or sometimes, but make every effort to live in peace with everyone. So let me, before I tell you what Jesus says, let, let me ask you are, you, are you at peace with people? Are you at war with people? Because you see the mark of holiness is the mark of the Holy Spirit in a person wanting us to be like Jesus Christ who is at peace with God and all men. And if you're not at peace, then there's a hindrance to your holiness. Uh, there is sin. Uh, Jesus uh, said blessed, which can be translated happy, happy are the ones who are peacemakers. Peacemakers. 
Those who actively seek peace, not revenge, not grudges, which, by the way, is the, most of the problem in an unhappy marriage. Chances are if you have an unhappy marriage because you hold grudges against each other. This world is not a place of peace. But it's a place of war. And Jesus said, there's always going to be wars until I come back. Guess what? He was right about that, wasn't he? He was right about that. that. That should make you go, oh, well, maybe Jesus is really a prophet. If he's not the son of God. We make war... And we uh, draw out our territory. We live in a world that says you better get them before they get you. And you and I tend to wrong others because we've been wronged. And the nature of the world is conflict in positioning ourselves to not be hurt or wounded. Therefore, if we're to know the happiness of being a person who brings peace. And yes, I believe it brings happiness. When you break through this cycle of anger and bitterness and resentment and holding things against people, but you're able to overcome that by the work of the Spirit, to pray for your enemies, to pray for those who've wounded you, whether it was your father when you were a kid or your mother or a boyfriend who sexually abused you or whatever it may be. That's divine. That, that's a power, like a power that comes when the athlete hits the wall and then he gets his second win, which I think I've had one time in my life, by the way. But I remember it. It was awesome. I just kept running. I was like, wow, this is, uh, wow, because I push my body to push ourselves, to make every effort. To not dwell on what someone has done wrong to you, but to dwell on praying for them. You say, well, that that makes no sense to me. I'm going to tell you why. Because that's not the way the world operates. And it is a sign that if you cannot do that, you are not on the pilgrimage. That you're of this earth. Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. We must make every effort to pray for them and to continue to love. And not a love of of, uh, this in you. It's a love that the Holy Spirit gives you to work through your flesh to transform you, to make you a gracious person. You want to know what holiness is? It's graciousness. It's kindness. It's forgiveness. Yes, it is for seeking the good of your enemy. This does not make for good Hollywood cowboy movies that stokes for our desires for revenge. Don't you love to go to a cowboy movie and this guy's been wronged and man, you can't wait to, he shoots that guy. At least I'm that way. Yeah, get him. But you know, that kind of gets on to, it kind of, it's like something that gets on you. In Titus chapter three, Paul speaks of this and I, I, I don't want to skip over this. L- listen to what he says to us as Christians. I'm speaking to you as Christians now. Remind people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, 
and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy and being hated and hating one another. But he goes on to talk about the cross of Christ, what Christ has done for us. But then he goes on to say this within the church, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. And after that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such persons are warped and sinful and they are self-condemned. Why does it say that? It's because that's not the way of peace. The way of peace is to go to a brother. Hey, brother, I need to understand what's going on here. Or if they come to you, rather than getting all defensive, you, they, they may be right or wrong, but you listen. Because you desire to be reconciled to all men because you're reconciled to God. I'm telling you, this is what holiness is. And it is a spiritual thing. The greatest sign that you're on the pilgrimage is that you're more and more concerned with Christ-likeness than you are the pleasures of this world. And then, then the other positive is that we are to be holy. Um, we're to make every effort to be holy without which no one will say, Lord, that's a positive. You're to be holy. You're to be holy. Uh, I, I, I've read J.C. Ryle's book. If you've never read it, it's written by an Anglican priest who lived at the time of Charles Spurgeon. And I love his writing because it's like so clear and it's bam, bam, bam. It's very poignant. But one of the things he writes in the book, uh, his book on holiness, he says that holiness and happiness go hand in hand. Why? Because to be holy, though contrary to our sinful nature, or what the Bible calls our flesh, it's a blessing. Our growing in Christ, bearing his image, means so much more than having our selfish ways. It's like I have Jesus. This is what holiness is. And then, and then he gives a negative. There are negative things here. And by the way, if you read the Bible, you've got to, you got to understand there's law and grace, there's, there's, uh, there's uh, justification, uh, but there's also wrath. There, these, these two things, they're always there and God is able to deal with them all because he wears all the hats of all of his attributes all the time perfectly. What are the negative things? Well, I'll be brief on this because I want to close. Deal with the root of bitterness. You see that? If you're going to be holy, you have to be at peace with all men. You have to seek holiness and you have to deal with bitterness. Verse 15. You see, God's grace bears the fruit of graciousness. And when we think of people who are gracious, a Christian or non-Christian, and I've, I've met many gracious non-Christians. So if you're non-Christian and you're gracious, then you've disciplined your life. But it doesn't mean that you're holy. It just means you're giving aspects of it. But certainly we who are the people of God are to be gracious. The weeds of bitterness will always be there and must constantly be pulled. Holiness uh, does not mean sinlessness. I'm not saying be sinless. I sin. I get up before you every Sunday as a sinner who has sinned and needs the Lord's table and the grace of God as much as anybody else in here. It doesn't mean 
that you're sinless, but what it does mean is that you are about the business of uprooting bitterness. Because if you are not, it will take hold of your life and not only will it bear ugly fruit in your own life, but it will be a poisonous fruit that will poison all the loved ones around you. And it will be worse because you come to church where they're Bible believing and you believe in Jesus Christ, but it has not penetrated. I'm convinced that Christians, brothers and sisters, I don't know what's happening or going to happen in our country, but I know this, if there's revival, it begins with the household of God and we must bore down deep below the roots of bitterness into the grace of God. And then he says, sexual immorality, see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. And, and I'm going to come back to this in a minute as I close, but look, sexual immorality uh, it's everywhere in our country. I mean, you, you can't go by and not see a billboard that's selling products by sex. Uh, you say, well, I don't know if I want my kids to hear so-and-so. Well, you know what? They're hearing it. And some of you are caught up in sexual sin this morning. Maybe some of you are, are struggling with pornography or but you see, there's no way that those two things can go to, together, holiness and sexual immorality. That must be a discipline. Again, I didn't say you, you lose your sexuality, but it's what you do with it. Well, here's, here's the last thing I want to say before we come to the Lord's table. All right, we've got to clear the obstacles out of the way. Uh, we need to have our priorities right. And that priority is I will be a servant of Jesus Christ. I will make time for him. And I, even if it takes me five years to be a great marathon runner for Jesus, every day I'm going to work on it because it doesn't happen overnight. You must endeavor to be holy. But here's the last thing. Here's what you need to understand. That holiness and worldliness are incompatible. You can't have one foot in this world and one foot in heaven. It's incompatible. I, 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 and I, again, I'm not, I'm just, I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says. I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be Debbie Downer here. But to know the grace of God is to know that for any who wants to get on that path, he says, come on, I'm for you. But you can't be on that path and go in the way of the world that's perishing and leading to death. Here's what John says in 1 John. Do not love the world or anything in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of lights, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God, whoever is holy, will abide forever. You say, well, where do we see this in our text? It's very interesting. He, he brings up Esau here. You notice that? It says, and see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. Now, when I, when I first read that, I, I was a little bit perplexed because he was not known for his sexual proclivities. And he gets to it later here. 
Uh, he did marry two Hittite women in Genesis 26, and it says that they were the source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Why? Because the real issue with him, and what all commentators say, and his pursuit of these women was just a sign of his pursuit of this world. He was a secular person. You got that? So you have this household of faith, a hall of fame of faith in chapter 11, and you only get one example of a person who lived in unbelief. And that was Esau. And Esau represents everyone in this room and everyone who's ever lived and everyone who ever will live and everyone who's living right now. He represents unbelief. And so what does he do? Well, commentators pretty much said this. He was a brute beast. He was a hunter who hunted game and he hunted women, but his issue was not that he was a hunter. His issue was that everything about his life was for this life. And so you know what he did? You know what he did? He sold his birthright for porridge. You see, that's what it's like to be a secular person, to not seek to be holy and own the pathway of holiness. It, 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 is, it is to sell all that so that you can just kind of have your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your, your marriage, your, your dream home, which by the way, all those things are good. Please hear me say that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a stoic. Uh, I, I'm full-blooded. The material world is great, but it must be redeemed. And the best way to do that is to put sin to death in our own lives. Well, I need to close. You can't, the secular and the sacred cannot mingle. But we see it in ourselves, don't we? Because you do want to be with Christ. I mean, that's the sign of being a believer. It's like, man, but you still love the world. You're still struggling with the world. That doesn't mean you're not holy if the struggle is there. If the struggle is not there and you're not thinking about these things and how to please Christ, then basically you're a Christian in name only because you're not on the journey. So what is the sign of those who are not on the pilgrimage to eternal life? Well, if you see it in, with, with him, he was filled with bitterness and anger. He hated his brother for his deception and he wanted him dead. Now there's another brother who actually, and Esau didn't kill kill his brother, but he wanted to. But you know who did? Cain. And you know what John says about Cain? And, and let me read this and I'll close. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. You see, that's the difference between a secular person. And what does it bear the fruit of? His great regret at the end of his life. He could not get the blessing back. Well, I need to end on the gospel of peace by focusing on the one who's the prince of peace. First Peter tells us about a man who was the opposite of the angry man, the secular man. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. 
And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in the body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. You see, if you live a life of bitterness and anger and revenge, then you know what you're doing? You're making other people pay your debt that they owe you. But you see, Jesus paid the debt against those who sinned against him. And you know what the result is? Let me tell you what it's going to do to you. And maybe if you're really old, you can tell some younger people this. Bitterness will make you poor and poor and poor. So by the end of your life, you're bankrupt and you can't repent. Forgiveness. Christ, who was rich, became poor to forgive. And he was raised to be a king of a people who had no hope. You see, when you forgive, that's holiness. You become richer and richer and richer. Let's pray. Lord, may we be rich in Jesus. Forgive us of our sins for their many. Father, pray for any that are here who are harboring the root of bitterness, saying, well, I don't understand their situation. Probably don't, but you do. And you're willing to help them even this morning. You even forgive bitter people and revengeful people and angry people. And Lord, would you be gracious to them? And Father, for us who are believers, help us by your spirit to love one another, to forgive one another, to encourage each other, even as we're encouraged in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask it in your name. Amen.